0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solans.
0: Well... We appreciate you joining us. We hope you've had your fill of turkey leftovers. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of leftovers on this podcast, kind of working our way back and forward to the winter meetings. We'll be at the winter meetings in San Diego for shows on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we'll have blogs. But we figured, uh, based on the fact that the tender deadline has just uh, come and gone uh, in the race tendered five of the six remaining arbitration-eligible players, we would discuss that. Mark Topkin of The Times will join us later, but joining us now is Peter Bendix, a race vice president of baseball operations. Peter, thanks very much for a few minutes. Thanks for having me, Neil. Let's kind of backtrack first of all, because Um, You know, we said five out of six players were tendered, but really you had nine. Um, The initial decision was made on Matt Duffy, and we discussed that in the last podcast. Um, But then uh, there were two moves made before you even got to yesterday, and that was Jesus Aguilar, who eventually was picked up by the Marlins via waivers. You got Brian O'Grady in a trade from the Reds, and then decided to make a move on Mike Sanino after Travis Darnot had signed with Atlanta. Walk us through that and then kind of how that led into – um, the, the remaining decisions that you had to make?
1: Sure. Well, each of those decisions is made somewhat in a vacuum, but not entirely. When you have a 40-man roster, you only have 40 spots that you can play with. In the offseason, there's no 60-day DL for guys who are hurt. There's no other ways that you can create roster spots. So some of those decisions are made kind of with the future in mind of not just what we need now, but what we might need in the future. So, for instance, I'll start with Heredia. Uh, we really appreciate what he brought to the club last year and hope there's some way that we can potentially bring him back, but at this point, we thought we were better off opening up that roster spot for what something that might happen in the future, while we retain the ability to potentially re-sign Heredia to a deal at some point in the off season. Um, he brings a lot to the team, both on and off the field. Uh, But at the same time, we have a very crowded 40-man roster. We have a lot of players competing for playing time, and we weren't able to offer him a spot right now, but we don't want to close the door in the future.
0: Sure. And you know, since that was the one move that you guys made from a tender standpoint, there are a lot of outfielders without discussing names via free agency. So to tender a guy and then have to non-tender him because you think you've
1: upgraded the spot didn't make a whole lot of sense. That's right yeah and that tender decision while not entirely final it does lock you into using him for a roster spot for at least a couple of weeks it locks you into a certain amount of money that you owe the player even if you want to cut him at a later point whereas non-tendering him makes him a free agent he can sign with other teams but he can also re-sign here depending on what we want what he wants etc.
0: Let's back up and look at the other decisions that were made before the tender deadline, uh, because we really haven't discussed them. First, getting Brian O'Grady from the Reds. Um, what was the thought process in acquiring him once he hit the uh, the, the DFA wire, so to speak, in, in claim in
1: making that small trade for him, and then how did that fit into the decision on Jesus Aguilar? yeah with o'grady uh he was available on waivers and we ended up making a small trade for him uh he offers a lot of different positives in terms of uh he's a well-rounded player uh left-handed bat outfielder pretty good defender decent hitter spent most of last year in triple a i believe And we think he's somebody that can add depth uh, to the organization, either on the roster or off. Right now, he's currently on the roster. We hope that he stays that way. Uh, Our outfield depth isn't great, which is, I know, ironic considering we just non-tendered Heredia. But it is something we're looking more towards the future with somebody like O'Grady, who has much less Major League experience, but has potentially more, more potential for the future. And there's, I guess, almost, it's almost like there's a short gap because you've got guys like Josh Lowe on the
0: come, um, guys who've been in double and triple A who have the ability to help you, but you've almost got that short term gap right now for kind of year or two. And you guys always talk about wanting to not block guys from development, but at the same time. Um, wanting to make sure that you've got the space available to give guys the opportunity to grow.
1: Absolutely, and depth is always going to be very important for us. I think it's one of the ways that we can compete with the teams with a lot more resources than us, is they might have a better top 3, 4, 5 players than we do, but if we're going to use our entire 40-man roster, we're going to use our entire Durham team, we're going to bring guys up to the big leagues when they've earned opportunity, and those guys that most people might not have heard of are what allow us to gain an advantage over New York or Boston, because our 30th, 35th, 40th, 45th guys are all a lot better than New York's or Boston's, or at least that's what we're hoping for.
0: The decision, obviously, when you got O'Grady um, led Jesus Aguilar to be DF eight. He eventually was claimed by the Marlins. Um, was it more about opportunity for him, him being positionally locked for Space DH? What kind of went into his particular move?
1: Yeah, I think there was, a lot of that was about opportunity. Um, Jesus did a great job for us last year. I think he was instrumental in the run that we made in the second half of the season, but he has some limitations in terms of his defensive ability um, being locked into first base or DH, like you said. The right-handed bat is useful, but as we saw, the power wasn't fantastic. It wasn't necessarily enough where we could easily see him, for instance, starting at first base over G-Man Choi or over a Nate Lowe or something like that. And so, again, it was the case where we like the player and we like what he was able to do for us, but it was hard to see the playing time, and we didn't necessarily want to lock ourselves into that, didn't think it was fair to the player, and didn't think it was the best thing for us.
0: And you still have a couple of right-handed bats, um, several of them. In fact, on the 40-man in
1: Mike Brasso, in Yanni Diaz, who can go from third to first, and Kevin Padlow, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, this, I think, speaks to our depth. And I think there's players who are on the fringes of our roster that probably have a lot more opportunities elsewhere. And I think that's a good thing for us. And potentially, there's times when it's a good thing for the player to go elsewhere and be able to have those opportunities.
0: Kind of the, the big move before the tender deadline was the decision to to uh, agree to terms with Mike Zanino. Give us an idea how that came about and why you guys went that route. Um, obviously, Travis Darnot ended up going to Atlanta. Um, right before that
1: yeah with Zanino um, obviously he was coming off of a very tough offensive year and we know that everybody knows that Mike knows that and he's working hard to improve for next year but he was also coming off of an excellent defensive year and really good defensive catchers are hard to find And Mike really worked well with our pitching staff, with our pitching coaches, did a fantastic job behind the plate. And to be honest, we're betting on an offensive bounce back. Not necessarily to be the best hitter in the lineup or hit cleanup every day, but if you look at his career – Mike has been a pretty solid hitter for a catcher. It's a low batting average, but he offers some power, some pop for a catcher. He's gone through tough seasons before and been able to bounce back. The defense stayed really, really strong. So we're betting on the offense being a little better, the defense maintaining at a high level. And uh, we think that's, that's what we're built on. We're built on pitching and defense anyway.
0: Do you think that also a second year where maybe all the focus in spring training was learning a new staff where this at least this spring he goes in knowing most of the staff at this point makes it easier to
1: focus on the offense a little bit more? Oh, 100%. I'm sure he's going to feel a lot more comfortable knowing what we're we're asking from him, knowing our staff, knowing our coaches, etc. And it's interesting, we were talking the other day, um, I think Mike is the first returning catcher that we're going to have for multiple years since maybe Jose Molina. I haven't actually fact-checked that, so that might be incorrect. But the point is, we've had a lot of turnover at catcher, and catcher is a spot where familiarity really does matter. We're not going to have a ton of turnover with our pitching staff this year and with Mike. He's going to have worked with almost everybody before. I agree with you. I think that could take some pressure off of his offense.
0: You touched on Guillermo Heredia. That that was the... Uh, really not the decision, but the move you guys made at the tender deadline. You did tender Chaz Rowe, and I did want to touch on that. Can you kind of walk us through the thought process? Obviously, he finished strong. He's been the the guy who's given you the most appearances over the last few years. What went into the decision to tender him for
1: 2020? I think you just said it yourself. He finished incredibly strong. Um, He made some improvements in the second half of the season. He moved on the rubber against righties and lefties. He added a cutter kind of in between his slider and fastball that was very effective. And he was really strong down the stretch. And we've always really appreciated what Chaz can do. He's obviously very, very strong against right-handed hitters. Trust him against any right-handed hitter in baseball. And he's shown ability to improve against left-handed hitters. And that's the key considering the three batter minimums going to go into effect next year. And we feel very comfortable with Chaz running through a string of right, left, right, or something like that, and think that he's as good as anyone in baseball against right-handed hitter.
0: Is Does the fact, you mentioned the three batter minimum, does the fact that you can still use a guy to finish an inning if it's less than three batters, and the fact that you're now maybe carrying an extra pitcher throughout the course of the season with a 26-man roster make it a little easier to carry someone who's a
1: little more maybe maybe not a specialist but certainly leans one hand over the other? I think the 26th roster spot is definitely going to lead to uh, some interesting decisions that might not have happened in the past, potentially one of them being carrying some uh, someone who's more of a specialist. Um, I also think the three-batter minimum where it doesn't come into play if you get the last out of the inning – is going to be fascinating. It's going to lead to some really interesting managerial decisions. For instance, do you bring in someone like Chaz Rowe to face a right-handed hitter with two outs with someone like Rafael Devers on deck? If he gets the right-handed hitter out, great, you're out of the inning. If not, he has to face the really good lefty. That's why Kevin Cash gets the big bucks, and I don't. (laughs)
0: um and you guys still will get some bucks to figure out what to do you know going into next year and the winter meetings are coming up and i want to touch on that which are in san diego this year how much of the discussions that have gone on the last week or two will lead further or have been kind of a preview for what's to come how how deep into discussions are you and how active do you guys think as a group these winter meetings
1: will be compared to others I'm hopeful that these winter meetings are going to be active. Um, I think everybody likes to get things done earlier in the off season, and obviously the last couple of years that hasn't happened. I think we're starting to see more activity in the free agent market earlier than we have in the last couple of years, which personally makes me pretty optimistic. I think with uh, the schedule being the way it was for us specifically making the playoffs playing into the playoffs, but also just Thanksgiving comes very late this year. The winter meetings are as later as they can be this year. I think Teams are really just now getting into the swing of the offseason, so I'm really hopeful that this week will set a lot of uh, foundation and that next week in the winter meetings there will be all sorts of activity, but it's really hard to predict. There's years where I fully expect a ton of moves in the winter meetings and nothing happens, and there's years where I expect it to be quiet and sleepy and there's a flurry of moves.
0: Eric Neander had, you know, I think said at the end of uh, the the playoff run that, you know, he'd love to maintain the the run prevention but improve the run production. Does that still kind of remain a priority? Obviously, I know you guys have to be flexible.
1: Always. I, I, we do have to be flexible. And given our, our resources and the way that we're always going to try to balance the, the present and the future – Uh, We can't miss an opportunity to get better, whatever that opportunity might be. Now, that said, I fully agree with Eric. Our run prevention was much stronger than our run production. And if we can keep the run prevention and improve the run production, that's the goal. But as was the case with Mike Zanino, we don't want to take the run prevention for granted. And a run saved is still valuable um, as a run scored. And so we're going to try to get better on both sides of the ball. And hopefully we can add more offense. And
0: would you say to this point, you know, the discussions that things have moved at a more progressive level than let's say they have, or, or you really can't tell and you get into San Diego? And how useful is it to be in front of other, other teams in person versus on the phone so much? I know this day is done via text and, and email.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that the idea of the winter meetings is a little bit outdated at this point, at least from a club perspective. There's still a lot of value in person there, but not necessarily as much for the moves. Now, that said, there's going to be players at the winter meetings that you can meet with. There's going to be agents at the winter meetings that you can meet with. It's something of an artificial deadline. Everybody knows we're all going to the winter meetings to get work done. So I do think at least psychologically, there is value to all going to the same place, whereas practically speaking, you're absolutely right. Deals are done via text. Deals are done via phone calls. That is true at the winter meetings, even if you're all at the same hotel. But I do think going to the same place at the same time does spur moves. But being with this
0: organization for a while, I think this group as a whole doesn't necessarily say, oh, it's the winter meetings. We better make, you know, something's got to happen here. There's not necessarily
1: the internal pressure to make a move unless you guys feel it's the right one. Right. No, we don't feel any sort of internal pressure to make a move at any point. Um, as we've seen in the past, we've been able to make moves very late into the offseason. But there is value to us in making moves sooner. It allows us more flexibility in making subsequent moves. It allows us to get to know new players well, to have an idea of what our team is going to look like. So I think all else equal, we'd prefer to make moves sooner, but you need two to be able to make a move.
0: Well, good luck. I know you've got a lot of work to do between uh, now and the start of the season. Enjoy San Diego, and we may talk to you there.
1: Thanks very much, Neil.
0: We certainly appreciate uh, Peter Bendix joining us from uh, the baseball operations side and joining us now, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who certainly, I'm sure, has taken no rest uh, other than maybe on Thanksgiving Day. It's been kind of a busy stretch, uh, at least from what I can remember, in terms of activity for the Rays. While they have not made big moves, there have been a lot of things that have gone on. Uh, beginning back with Mike Zanino and 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 the Ogradio Aguilar move that we kind of just broke down a little bit ago, along with the tender moves,
2: it just never seems to end, and that's part of what makes baseball, you know, such a fun sport for people to follow. And and I know, yeah, you, know, you and I talk a lot about you know what they might do, what they could do, and and I think you know fans do that as well.
0: Mark, give us a feel for, um, you know, in, in your mind, it, it, as you mentioned, it's, it's kind of the never-ending offseason. But has anything to this point surprised you in the last couple of weeks, um, be it the DFA move with Jesus Aguilar, be it um, the decision to uh, bring back Mike Zanino after they weren't able to come to terms on Travis Darnot, the Guillermo Heredia decision, anything like that surprise you at all?
2: I mean, nothing I would classify as a huge shock. I, I think we all uh, had a feeling that Travis Darno had earned himself a, a hefty raise with his performance. Um, had a feeling that the Rays probably had a certain number in mind. We don't know, you know, what that is. And then in their typical style, they've been kind of, you know, quiet on not wanting that out there. But, you know, he he didn't get an incredible amount of money. So I, my gut feeling is the Rays were probably close, and it took a lot of discipline. I mean, two years, sixteen million, so. That didn't surprise me, but it was probably, you know, I thought they were probably in that. So if had they signed him for that number, I probably wouldn't have been surprised either. It was probably pretty close. Pivoting back to to Zanino makes sense. They would have if had they not done that and non-tendered him or, or traded him, you know, for a, a low, you know, return on the dollar, so to speak. They would have been left very bare catching wise, with only Michael Perez, who's played really only a handful of games in the big leagues, and I don't think they would have been comfortable with that as much as they rely. On catching and defense first catching, so that's kind of what the heart of the, the Zanino decision was, and nothing else really surprised me. I mean, Aguilar didn't really impress anybody. I, I thought, you know, they might have thought this was another G-man choice situation where, you know, given time, maybe they could have gotten more out of him, but you know, they're short now on right-handed hitters. If you go through it, you know, no Heredia, no Aguilar, no Duffy, no Abascal Garcia, no Darno. So they've taken you know, a fair amount of their right-handed hitters out of the mix at this point. I mean, no power from Duffy. The other guys provided a little bit of power. Uh, so that's kind of where they are. Maybe that they haven't addressed that yet, but on the other hand, as we know, it's just early in the off-season still in a way. The winter meetings are still to come.
0: Yeah, it is it's it is an early checkpoint, and I, I guess when, when I'll look back kind of on this, for me, it's kind of, okay, the moves they made, you know, it's not... It's OK. Did that allow them, let's say, by not signing Adarno, to add this piece and they could still re-sign Garcia? There were really some interesting names out there at the non-tender deadline. I mean, um, you know, Steven Souza Jr. is out there. Kevin Polar is now out there. Uh, there are a fair amount of guys that I probably did not anticipate all being non-tendered.
2: Yeah, and, and to me, there's a couple of definitely interesting names in that group. And, and you know, again, the Rays like to stay low profile in this. It makes sense for them not to put out there who they want. But I know they were looking over that list uh, after it came out as well. And, I mean, i got to tell you, Stephen Souza Jr. jumps out at me, Neil. I don't know what his exact health situation is. I know he posted recently. You're the you're the social media <laughs> maven of our group here. But he had something on Instagram, I think, the other day. Or maybe it was TikTok or uh, Insta story or Facebook story, but he had something of him running full speed again. And after missing all of last season with knee surgery, that was obviously a big milestone for him to get past. So it's an interesting name. I don't know what the Rays' thought process is. I'm sure obviously they have to find out if he's healthy or not and you know how long he'd be out. But, you know, you think about it. They picked up Avicel Garcia off the non tender scrap heap last year. There was some physical question. He'd had knee surgery. They weren't sure what he'd be and they told him to take it slow. No rush. Took it easy on him spring training. Got a pretty good return for that. So could Steven Souza Jr. fit that category? I mean, less versatile, obviously, but C.J. Crone with non-tender. The Rays non-tendered him last year. The Twins picked him up. Got what well, I think 25 homers. He had a thumb issue. What's his health status? You know, could he be available on a mm-hmm. low buy situation? So I think there's some possibilities out there. Uh, you know, you mentioned a couple others, and and I think there are some guys that the Rays will definitely look at. And then you know, they're all going to want roster spots. Getting rid of Heredia uh, at the non-tender deadline, it really wasn't a financial thing. I mean, a minimum wage player is going to make 563 Heredia was projected at $1.1, 1. 1, so that wasn't a financial thing. That may have been a roster spot thing as much as anything. It also would allow them to take part in the Rule 5 draft if they want to.
0: It does. Um, you know, I think more so it allows them to be kind of be active. All these – there were there were probably more non-tenders this year than any other. Does the flood of additional free agents in the market help the raise just because – there are guys that maybe are more likely to fall to Tampa Bay? Is that is that a way to look at it from a race perspective?
2: I think you could, and I think also the fact that there were, you know, the last couple off seasons, we saw a number of veterans that didn't get picked up, that didn't get signed, some guys that sat out a whole year that just never had anything materialized, that took minor league deals, I mean, things like that. The union players' union has obviously been very vocal about that, but you know, look, the bottom line is the teams decide who they want. They decide who they're going to sign. The players have to agree to the price. So if there's more talent available in the marketplace and the Rays have the opportunity, whether it's you know a guaranteed spot on the 26-man roster, whether it's a 40-man spot, camp invite, whatever it is, you know, if there's talent out there and there's a limited number of jobs, it's kind of a musical chairs thing. So I think the Rays definitely are in a better position the more talented players are in the free agent market at this point.
0: And the other thing, I don't know if it's good or bad yet, but um, the price of some of the free agents that have signed, and maybe they're just going after the first deal and deciding not to let things linger, but Yasmani Grandal got, what, 4-73. I was really surprised Mike Moustakis got 4-64. Drew Pomerantz got a four-year deal. I don't know if that's a trend or just some players who thought, well, this is the best deal I'm going to get. Let me go for it now. And then, as we move on, other than the Rendon's, the Strasburgs, the Garrett Coles of the world, we're starting. We're going to start to see those one and two year deals again.
2: Yeah, it's curious, and I know there's been some speculation whether this is the teams being proactive in being sensitive to the complaints the union had, you know, over the past off seasons that we just talked about knowing there's going to be a difficult negotiating session coming up over the next year or two for a new labor arrangement, or is it more just, uh, you know, symptomatic of these teams had needs and they had guys that could fill them. they were willing to pay for them. But yeah, the prices have seemed a little heavy early on. You know, you saw Scott Boris client sign early on and Mike Moustakis, there's mm-hmm. some speculation that a couple of his pitchers, you know, maybe not necessarily Garrett Cole, but Cole has met with teams already. Strasburg has met with teams already. Uh, Rendon, another client, has met with teams already as we head into the winter meetings here. So, you know, maybe this is MLB. Yeah, I, I don't know. Could it, I mean, maybe I should even just throw it out more as a question. Could MLB be encouraging teams to, you know, be a little bit more aggressive early in the offseason? I mean, the winter meetings have become really dry. Even when teams make deals, and we can use the Rays as an example. I mean, they got the yes from Charlie Morton at the winter meetings last year, but that wasn't formal. That wasn't announced until several days later. You know, teams haven't been up to the stage. You know, you you you've emceed things. You know what that's like. I mean, they haven't taken the stage, the winter meetings, to announce deals, and and you know, baseball has this week that's not really maximizing the chance to get to be the focus of the sports world. And maybe MLB is encouraging teams to be a little more aggressive early on. I don't know, but it seems like an interesting
0: thought. It certainly is. What are you most looking forward to? Cause he's co- you've covered this meeting for, for many, many years. And obviously has changed dramatically. Do you anticipate this being a busy meetings? Do you think it's going to be a quiet meetings? What's kind of your take is, as, as you get set to go out to San Diego?
2: Uh, my take is that while well, San Diego sounds really nice place to be, Three hours behind deadline-wise is not a fun thing from the newspaper standpoint. <laughs> I have a very selfish take. I much prefer when the winter meetings are on East Coast time. Washington was cold. It wasn't a lot to do, but it was great because it was on East Coast time a couple of years ago. So uh, that aside, it, it's hard to read. I think just based on the fact that, we, as you just pointed out, Neil, there have been some early big money signings. You would tend to think that that would continue, that it wouldn't be these three or four guys and then stop and everybody else waits till January. You know, look, we've all been around players enough to know given they make millions and millions of dollars for playing a kid's game. So take that out of it. There's no one's going to feel sorry for any player. But take that out of it. Players like to know where they're going soon. They like to know by the Christmas holidays. That's kind of a checkpoint in guys' minds. They want to know where they're going for spring training. They want to know where they're going to play the regular season. In some cases, it's just you know a matter of logistics. They have to get a spring training place. If they have kids, they have to figure out if they're going to take them with them and put them in school wherever they're signing. You know, is it Florida or Arizona? If it's Florida, which coast is it on? So there's some of those things that players do, do like to have resolved, kind of like I said, at the holiday checkpoint, knowing that once you get out of that, it's time to get to work. You know, once the holidays are over and now suddenly it's the first week of January, you got a month to go until spring training starts. You know, I talked to one of the race players the other day. He said, I'll be down in St. Pete Jan 11. You know, that's, he's coming down ready to get going <laughs> and start preparing for spring training. So I think players like to know, where they're going to be by the end of the year. So maybe that will prompt some guys to be more aggressive this year and do stuff at the winter meetings.
0: Well, and, and two, the two biggest signs, Moustakis and Grundal had already gone through free agency. So they kind of knew what this was about, and they probably knew what the best deal they were going to get. And maybe they were among those who were proactive and said, you know what, I don't want to do this again. I don't want this to linger into February. I don't want this to linger into next year. I want to know where I'm going now.
2: Right, especially in Mustakas's case, because he's played under one-year deals what the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Or so I think the opportunity to sign a long-term deal was probably very appealing to him. And you know, the other part of this that we haven't addressed yet is the trade market, because some teams, you know, we we know how this works too. The teams that have the money would rather deal in free agency, because then there's no it's only cost. You know, only money is the phrase, right? Only money, haha. But it's only money. The teams that don't have the money to sign the top-tier free agents, and the raise would certainly be one are kind of working these trade angles, but some of the teams can't commit to the trade market until they know what they're going to do. Like if a team needs a third baseman, they probably don't want to commit to talking about a trade. I'm not saying that matches with the Rays, but they don't want to commit to talking about a trade until they know where Donaldson and Rendon are going, if they're in on those guys. So it's all kind of interrelated. It's going to take a few more pieces to fall for everything to get opened.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think the other piece that Rays fans need to understand is that the the signing of Charlie Morton last year, early on in the off season is rare and more of the moves are probably going to come later than they do earlier, unless they are trades. And, and that's also going to complicate matters. Is a Lindor really going to get moved? Is a, uh, is a Mookie Betts really going to get moved and how does that change what other teams are going to do this off season?
2: Yeah. And, you know, even the dynamics of, you know, your good friend and mine, Haim uh, Bloom who worked with the Rays for a long time. I mean, the Red Sox are a team that a lot of people think is one of the most pivotal teams to this off season because they could make a bunch of massive moves i.e. trading Mookie Betts or trading one or two of the pitchers, David Price, Evaldi, Chris Sale. I mean, all those names have been thrown around. So, you know, what they do could, could literally set a course that could affect five or six other teams.
0: Well, here's hoping that whatever is done is done before your deadline out on the East Coast so that you can, you can make the deadlines and that there is some news to cover from a race perspective. How's that?
2: Well it sounds good either either make the deadline or just be so far after it that I don't have to you know, I can't do anything about it you know midnight pacific time then you just have to deal with it in the morning so Either way, Neil, but I know you'll be up 24-7, so I'll just try to stay up with you and keep up with what's going
0: on. <laughs> Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. We certainly appreciate his time, and you can follow us again on our blog at uh, uh We will be out there. We will have shows, and you can follow my Twitter account, too, to find out what's going on there. We appreciate Mark and Peter being with us, and we will talk to you soon.